You're listening to the Eagles Insider Podcast. Now here's your host, Chris McPherson. All right, everyone, and thank you very much for joining us here on the post. I don't even know what to call it. I want to say the post-Cowboys edition, what you want to describe, what Sunday was for everyone out there. But thank you for joining us here on the latest edition of the Eagles Insider Podcast. Chris McPherson alongside Fran Duffy. Hey, guys. And Alex Smith. Hello. So, where to begin with this one? I'm going to blame... I think I'm going to blame Alex, because uh, since you've been named a co-host, yes. the Eagles have not won, which hasn't been that many games, but I mean, I th- at this point with the, the Popes coming to Philadelphia, you're looking for a little divine intervention, you got to start looking at every possible angle at what could be wrong with this football team, and uh, you know, some and, of the players you, are saying, you've, look in the mirror. You've um, established that it's me. Yes, I'm throwing you under the bus. On this uh, we also could have bad karma ever since Chris Stevens threw all of his old teammates from Albright wow, under the bus. Geez. That and therein caused us to uh, go on this losing streak here. So bad karma. Thank you, Chris Stevens. So, needless to say, a very disappointing defeat. You know, you can understand the season opener in Atlanta. All the new faces, all new players trying to gel together on the road. Tough environment. Falcons were amped up for their first game with the new head coach, Dan Quinn. And they played well in the second half, came up short. So you figured, okay, if you could carry that over to Dallas, they should be in good shape. We've gone through the laundry list of names of players who were not going to be suiting up for the Cowboys, and it didn't matter. Offense was just not able to get going. Defense played well. Defense did as much as it could, even going as far to knock Tony Romo out of the game and throwing the balance of the division out of whack for at least the short term. But still, even special teams allowing the punt return for a touchdown. So really just nothing really you can just latch onto and say, all right, this is going to be good moving forward. It was just... A very frustrating day for everyone out there who's an Eagles fan. It's a home opener. It's a Cowboys. It's a team that you want to get up for the most and just not the uh, effort that you want to see from them in that first game. It was very frustrating to watch. And, you know, all the adjectives have been tossed around by, uh, by head coach Chip Kelly, whether it was after the game in his press conference, Monday at his press conference uh, here at NovaCare, or on sports radio uh, WIP on with Angelo Cataldi on Monday morning. Everywhere he's been able to, you know, it's been – abysmal embarrassing i mean all, all the adjectives you can come up with it was really tough obviously on, on sunday afternoon against dallas in a number of different ways and we'll break some of those ways down here uh on the show certainly it was one of those games where friend you and i were watching here at NovaCare, and you'd said that it was one of those games where the offense was struggling so much that the defense could score a touchdown the eagles would still probably find a way to not come out with the victory and sure enough byron maxwell <laughs> got the strip of gavin escobar Malcolm Jenkins almost returned for the touchdown, and you almost wish that he had gotten the six points because yeah. on the very next play, even though it should have been called a false start and the Eagles should have gotten the ball back, the snap from yeah. Jason Kelsey came in too early. Bradford wasn't ready for it, and just like that. There you have it. Going into the game, I just thought the Eagles were going to blow them out. I thought the atmosphere was perfect. Like you mentioned, C-Mac, it was the home opener. The, the national anthem was incredible. They had the full flag over the field. They had the flyover, and... It just fell apart. I mean, the, I thought Dallas got the ball first, and they went three and out. And I said, okay, this is it. The defense, uh, yep. Connor Barwin got a sack on the on the, one of the first few plays. They forced the punt. I said, okay, right out of the shoot, the Eagles are getting the momentum going. And then the Eagles went three and out, and it felt like they went three and out for the rest of the half. So I think the only first down that they picked up in the first half was on a penalty. Mm-hmm. So I really thought that they had all the momentum going for them as soon as the game started, and it, it just collapsed. All right, so thank you very much again for joining us. Make sure to subscribe to get the latest episodes sent to wherever you consume podcasts, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, Podbay, and make sure to please rate and comment 
and leave us your thoughts on the podcast. Alex was talking a lot about how the offense was going three and out on a consistent basis on Sunday, so that's a perfect segue to our first segment of the show, Three and Out. One, two, three, three. Three is a magic number. Three. Three. Now it's time for Three and Out. All right, Three and Out. Uh... Fran, Alex, and myself, we used to take an aspect of the game and delve a little deeper into it. And Alex, you had touched on the defense uh, just before we dr- jumped into three and out. So we'll let you uh, let's keep rolling with that. I, I mean, like you said, we already talked about it, but the defense played well enough to win that game. Um, I thought starting out on the defensive line, I thought those three guys up front uh, with Benny, Seth, and Fletcher – I thought they were outstanding. Um, Fran obviously broke down the tape a little bit deeper than I did, but um, I thought just from a naked eye, I thought those guys were very good. We knew coming into the season that with all the changing faces throughout the roster that the defensive line was going to be that one spot where you know what you're going to get out of those guys. And I think they had a really solid game. Um, Said Thornton even got a sack, uh, which you don't see a lot of sacks from Thornton. I think it was the fourth of his career, but obviously he's a much better run stopper. but, you know, the whole front seven, Connor Barwin, I thought, had a nice game. Um, and we, we saw some nice things from the inside linebackers as well, um, which we'll get to in a little bit. But uh, and, and then even in the secondary, I thought, um, obviously, uh, Byron Maxwell trying to rebound from the Atlanta game. Uh, I think he did an OK job. Obviously, he got beat on that last play by Terrence Williams. But um, he well, admitted to fatigue. He just said that you're on the field for 85 for, plays. Yeah, uh, it's 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 and and. Chip Kelly even spoke about that in, in his press conference that, yeah, I think fatigue does go into it. Uh, he said that, you know, he's not a time of possession guy, but he is a snaps guy. Mm-hmm. So when you're on the field for 85 snaps, the defense is going to get tired. So um, the defensive effort, you, you force two turnovers, you knock Tony Romo out of the game. Um, I think defensively, uh, you, you have to be happy with what you saw from the Eagles. The one area I thought was much improved – from the game against Atlanta was setting the edge in yes. the run game. Mm-hmm. Thought that they were much better doing that. Brandon Connor, uh, much noticeable, especially in the early going. The Cowboys obviously like to try to get the outside zone going. Not able to do that. So even though the Cowboys did get over 100 yards, I think a lot of it was just the fact of the circumstance and the way that the game was, uh, you know, trending, especially late in the contest. You but never had you never had that feeling during the game that oh man, we just can't stop them on the ground. No. No, not whatsoever. So I was, I thought the run defense, which you figure is going to be the hallmark of this unit, was much much better from week one. Yeah, I think some some of the carries, and you got to give Joseph Randall credit. There were a lot of plays where we had him dead to rights in the backfield, where Benny Logan or Fletcher Cox or Sed or some one of the linebackers was able to get into the backfield, uh, and he was able to make the miss and, and pick up even if it was what would have been a three or four yard loss into a one or two yard gain. So you got to give him credit there, but. Overall, I thought the defense uh, up front was very, very strong against the run. So everyone wants to know what's going on with the offense. And the Eagles obviously agreed, and they made a major roster move, bringing Thad Lewis and waving Stephen Morris. That's exactly the quarterback move that people have been clamoring for. I say it facetiously. Uh, Chip Kelly putting his faith in Sam Bradford, saying that he's still confident in him. And certainly it was not all on him. Bradford had his struggles. But, Fran, you've dissected the tape, and everyone wants to make these sweeping generalizations that the guards are just simply not good enough. Yeah. You got rid of Evan Mathis and Todd Harriman's. It must be the guards. But when you break it down, I mean, there's failures at every single spot, every single – everyone has their hand in this, so to speak, that, you know, 
it's good on the one hand that it's something I think that's correctable because it's not a personnel thing, but you do want to see some of these guys, especially your veteran leaders, start getting on the same page. Well, I'll give you a little peek behind the curtain uh, just to give you an idea of what my morning was like here. We're filming this on Monday afternoon. Uh, I watched the Eagles offense, the, the, this tape of the Eagles offense against Dallas. I spent more time watching that tape than I have ever spent on any side of the ball for any game ever since I've been here. I, I, I watched it for probably four hours and change. Watched it back and forth, back and forth. Four hours. Because I wanted, uh, everyone was asking what what's going on, what, and everybody's coming in, you know, all the people coming into the office, what, what's going on? And it's just like that one sweep, it's like you said, everyone wants the answer. What is mm-hmm. the answer? There's lots of there's lots of answers. There's lots of things that are going on, you know, that are that are wrong. Uh, and Coach Kelly talked about it. You know, the, it goes back to basics and the fundamentals. Uh, there are all kinds of scenarios. And I went back and I just looked at uh, the 16 run plays. You know, they, they they had 15 runs in the books. There was uh, one run that the, the, the touchdown run by Demarco Murray that came back on the holding call. So he had 16 carries. Of those 16 carries, 11 of them, the running back was hit at or before the line of scrimmage. 11 of the 16, and that resulted in just one of those carries going for more than three yards. It's, I mean, it's just across the board, and that's just not – you can't just say, oh, you know, Allen Barber just wasn't good enough today. Like, it was it was everybody. It yeah. was, you know, they got to get it better across the board. I think there was a stat, ESPN has it, and I don't have the exact numbers on me, but it was something to the effect of DeMarco Murray's basically been touched at or behind the line of scrimmage on average every play this season. And you compare it to last year in Dallas when he had his amazing 1,800-yard season, and he was about two and a half yards past the line of scrimmage right. before first contact. I mean, that's going to make all the difference in the world. It just seemed like every time he had the football, there was already a defender right on top of him, not giving him a chance to be able to make anything happen. Yeah, and there's been a lot of talk about um, you know the Eagles run from the shotgun too much, and that was something that he didn't do that much in last uh, last year. I think I saw that he only carried it 36 times or something to that extent out of the shotgun last year, uh, and he's already close to that in, in two games this year. So I, I don't know if that really has anything to do with it. it do, because it, it doesn't because they ran uh, yeah. 20, 25% of their snaps yesterday. 25% of the runs were under center. They ran four, four of the yeah. 16 runs were under center, and it went for a combbined total of negative five yards rather of, the, of those oh. four carries. I mean, so – you know they, they get, tried to mix it up. They, they tried, no question. They tried to mix it up. So you know they did all kinds of things. Whether it was uh, running to the tight end, away from the tight end, lining up to the, or running to the side where the running back was initially lined up, or away from that side. Whether they're they're under center or in the shotgun, all kinds of different formations. They tried a couple different schemes. You saw outside zone, inside zone. They saw the sweet play, the sweet play they ran, and that's usually been a play that has been pretty dependable. You've They've seen been good the with neg- that. You've, mm-hmm. you've seen negative plays in the past, but they ran it four times. Total of, uh, what are we looking at here? Negative 17 yards. Six, ten, yeah, negative 17 <laughs> or negative 16 yards. I'm just looking the at the wheels are turning here. and I your mean, mind is Because I, I literally, with these back, notes, I've, like, never, I've never done this before. And, and now C Max holding up my notes. And it's, I can't understand I, it. Well, anyway. yeah, it's, I'm just, you know, I, once, I, once my brain's going, forget about it. But, you know, it's, it literally. I, I'm just trying to you try to figure out, and it's just there's there's no there's no theme, there's no one central yeah. thing that you can say. Oh man, like the, Which, the, if they fix this one issue, everything it's it just got to get better across the board. The the tight ends have to get better on the ground. I think that's one area where uh, that's not necessarily being talked about as much. I think the you know Brent Selleck and Zach Ertz uh, will have to do better you know in terms of run blocking. 
Uh, sure, the I mean, I think all these guys across the front, you know, in terms of Gardner and Barber and uh, Kelsey, I thought was up and down. And a lot of people were were kind of killing Kelsey on on Twitter today. I don't I don't know that. Let's put it this way: I think that teams, when it comes to that sweep play, the the opposing defenses are able to see okay. The sweep's coming. They're taking Kelsey out of that play by really just not allowing him to release from the line of scrimmage. And if he can't release, now that linebacker is going to have a free run at the, at the running back. And we saw that with Sean Lee a couple times on Sunday. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not one to, to kill Jason Kelsey too much for some of those plays. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you just look across the board. They just got to get better. What about Bradford? When you looked at the tape, and this could be the chicken or the egg thing, Chip Kelly said that without the run game, the pass game's not going to be able to take off because they're just going to, you know, continue to leave the defender deep. You're seeing a lot of the single high, high post safety, and they're basically forcing uh, them to beat them a run game, and they're not able to do so. Well, and that's the problem is that uh, you're making them one-dimensional, and anytime you put any quarterback in a situation where it's, you know, second and eight, third and 12, third and nine, you know, second and 11, now you're just you're just making it harder for the quarterback and it doesn't help that you have the number of drops that you did yesterday uh, and last week against Atlanta as well. Uh, that's something that's going to have to get cleaned up moving forward, the number of drops, especially on third down. Those are just killers where you feel like you've, you've done everything right, and then you just got to finish at the catch point. you got to pull that catch in and keep the chains moving and uh, keep it on schedule, as we like to say. Uh, you know, Keep the offense moving and move the chains. That, I mean, that was an issue. Look, was Bradford perfect? No, by, by not by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you know, I broke down on uh, on today's eagle eye in the sky, uh, the interception he threw to Sean Lee down in the red zone. It's a throw that he should have made. It was, yeah. it was the right throw mm-hmm. to make. You know, you, you can't play the, the court. He saw the defender's back turned in the red zone. You, you make that throw every single time. You think that uh, you're in man coverage and the defender has his back turned to the quarterback. You're supposed to pull the trigger. So, you know, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. It was one of those games. Now you just want to see them rebound, move forward against a, uh, a tough New York Jets defense. That's the thing. It doesn't get any easier. No. Going to next week. Nope. No. It was very reminiscent. Uh, Ike Reese and I, we do the post-game show here from the NovaCare Studios after the game, and we were talking about when was the last time we saw the offense get shut down like this. And Ike was bringing up the, the stretch that Chip mentioned, the Dallas-New York games from 2013, but mm-hmm. I was thinking back to the San Francisco yeah, game right. last year. Yep. And you know that was a game where you're like, well, I forget the final score, but the Eagles had a number of points. <laughs> they because had like 21 points or something. They had 21 points game. because it all came on, on two special teams, special teams, teams. and, and, and Jenkins six. had a pick six. Yep. Yeah, to have three touchdowns and to be able to – what was the score? 27-21? 26-21, yeah, because the offense finally got going on the last drive, mm-hmm. and then they got down to the goal line. And yeah, I, I forget right. the exact sequence of how things happened, but yeah, – That's uh, right. I've, yeah, yeah. I, was, I remember. It was thing. an ugly end to the game. It was yeah. ugly end of the game after the that. offense finally got going. But I was just thinking when watching, you know, Miles Austin not able to make the one play, Riley Cooper not able to make the one play, Jordan Matthews having a couple of drops. Where if you make one of those, maybe that sparks the offense. Maybe you just need that one just to get things going, to get things started, and then maybe you finally would get something going. Yeah, but. and then penalties too, as as our esteemed producer BT points out, is uh, another area where both on both sides of the ball, you know, the, and. Uh, it's not always, you know. Sometimes some of these penalties are deserving. Other times they're kind of ticky tack. But yeah. I mean, you just got you just got to be, be smarter, more disciplined. Dallas had Dallas 18. Had eighteen penalties yeah. for one hundred and forty-two yards, That's and they overcame it. That's unbelievable. And they won the game. Unbelievable. Uh, so my my take here, we've gone to offensive defense, and you know, it's not enough really to you know, not going to dig into special teams here. But the Eagles are own two, and nobody saw this coming. Obviously, very disappointing, but. You have history to look back on, 
and you can look back to teams like 2003. Now, there are differences between, obviously, the 2015 Eagles and the 2003 squad, where the 2003 squad was battle-tested. It was a veteran-leading group. It was a team that had played together. Mm-hmm. All those guys, you know, had been through NFC title game losses together. So, obviously, they had the chemistry already in place that they could kind of, you know, flip the switch on, even though they had to deal with some adversity of their own that season. But still, the fact is they start 0-2, they were able to become the number one seed. To me, it's not a question of talent here. It's a matter of execution, and that's why when you look at what's going on with the offense, you're encouraged because it's a thing here, it's a thing there. It's not just one position that's just completely overwhelmed and that doesn't have a chance. The question is just going to be when, how soon can they get to the level where they are able to flip the switch and get things going here. Fortunately for the Eagles, the NFC East is in disarray. No question. The Dallas Cowboys, yes, they're 2-0, and and they deserve to be where they're at, and they're, they've proven to be very resilient to have lost Des Bryant. You could say DeMarco Murray, you know, the loss from last year. They've lost Skandrick. Greg Hardy's not playing. Rolando McLean's not playing. Uh, Randy Gregory is injured right now. Now they've lost Tony Romo. It's At what point will it be too much for even a, a team as good as Dallas to overcome? You have to wonder, and they have a tough schedule. They have that first-place schedule, so they're going to see the best of the NFC East divisions. It's, it's going to be a tough sledding for them. The Giants, another 10-point fourth-quarter lead evaporated. They're 0-2, but Tom Coughlin is, is using the NFC East as a rallying cry. He's saying, look at the state of the division. If, if the games were only three-quarters long, the Giants would be the best Maybe team in the NFC East right now. Now, Washington, all of a sudden... You know, everyone wants to laugh at Washington, and certainly we've had our, our chuckles over the quarterback situation, the general manager's wife, and the and the comments that she made. But they almost beat Miami in week one. And then, you know, the St. Louis Rams, and everyone keeps talking about the trade, and Nikki Foles coming off the upset win over, over Seattle. Washington gets the job done. So Matt Jones runs Matt wild. Jones. Yeah. So. They're, and they're one and one They're right there in the mix. But still, the Eagles are going to see Washington in two weeks. The Eagles have a game against the Jets. As we're recording this, we don't quite know the outcome of the uh, Jets-Colts game. That's going to take place later on this evening. So um, the Jets could be 2-0 and going into this game. Obviously, Todd Bowles will be fired up. But, you know, it's, it's still a long season. There's still – reasons for optimism the challenge for the eagles is going to be and i think lane johnson was the one who said it uh it's like a it's like a jesus week or something like that which is very apropos with the pope coming to town um that they've got to get on the same page right now and i don't know how you just all of a sudden get things to flip the script like that but they've got to find a way to do so otherwise oh and three you don't want three and out to become <laughs> no one to be called oh and three but I'm looking at the schedule right now, and before the bye, there are five more games. And I think they're pretty winnable games. Now, obviously, you could have said that about the first game in Atlanta. You could have said it about getting Dallas here for the home opener. Um, But if you look at the schedule, the Jets. The Jets are a tough team. Um, Obviously, their defense is great, and we'll get into that later on the show. Um, But then you have Washington, the Saints, the Giants, and then the Panthers uh, on on Sunday night. So... I think these are games that the Eagles can definitely win, and if they get, uh, you know, back to five hundred before the bye, if they it, five games, if they can go, you know, uh, four and one, hopefully, I, I think 
maybe that puts you in this this NFC East division that isn't doing too hot right now. Maybe that puts you in a good spot heading into that bye week. So uh, obviously it feels like the sky is falling after a game like the one we saw on Sunday, but that might not necessarily be the case. It's just I think to me is that none of us saw this coming more than anything else. It's you saw the success in the preseason, and obviously the regular season's different. You know. Was it foolhardy to think that all these new pieces could gel together this quickly? I don't think so. No, I mean, I think or I think right now if you're an Eagles fan and you're upset, it's 0-2, and obviously I think everybody's upset. Uh, you can just look back to, to 2013. I mean, the the we didn't start 0-2, yeah. but we start. What was the, three the start? Three and five. Three and five or two and four? Can this team get to three and five or two and four? I mean, if that's the case, uh, and you get to that point, you look back to 2013. They go in and they win the division and uh, complete compete for a wild card job or a wild card game. So, I mean, well, I, I'm hoping they turn this. They do the seven and one now. Oh well, they don't yeah. get to three and sure. five. Sure, I'm just saying, like, yeah. if you're, it's it's not over yet. There's a lot. There's a lot of football yeah. left to be played. So that's gonna do it for three and out. Now it's time to welcome in safety. Walter Thurman, who has uh, been quite a fine for the Eagles, was signed as a free agent, expected to be a cornerback, possibly the nickel. But the Eagles came up with a proposition, said, why don't you make the transition to safety, put those ball-hawking skills in the backfield, and it's worked for the Eagles thus far. This week's The Interview, Safety, Walter Thurman. And now it's time for what you've all been waiting for, The Interview. This week on the interview, I'm joined by safety, Walter Thurman. Walter, welcome to the Eagles Entire Podcast. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, question to start things off. Who is the smartest player in the Eagles locker room? Smartest player in the Eagles locker room. It's one to think about a little bit there because yeah. there's different ways you can go with it. But it's a question that we're polling players on this week. And I think you could be up at the top of the list mm-hmm. because you play a cerebral position at safety. Mm-hmm. You have a good knowledge of defense and schemes and how it all works. And you have a lot of off the field interest as well. So I, I, I put you in the mix there. So okay. we're so who are some of the players? Are we going to uh, book smarts? Or That's just, the other thing is yeah. you can take it a lot of different ways. I don't. It's hard to tell who would be a book smart. There's not one yeah. player who, if you look at the bios, who has like engineering for a degree. There probably yeah. are a couple players, but not too many though. Yeah, I mean, based off the college that they went to, I'm gonna say okay. Ed Reynolds. He's a, a good Stan- one. He's a Stanford guy. So Stanford I mean, guy. Yeah, so, I mean, you have to have a high GPA coming out of high school and as uh, testing well as well on the SATs and ACTs and stuff like that. So, I'm going to say Ed just off of that. Okay. I'm still going to throw your name in the mix there. Okay, I appreciate it. Yeah. How did you develop all the off-field interests, the art, your love of film, and getting into the film business? How did, how did you develop all those? Um, I would probably say everything started uh, clicking I mean, I've always had the interest in film, but uh, when I tore my knee my senior year in college, it just puts things in perspective as far as uh, the life expectancy for a football player. You know, as far um, in the NFL, you know, it's only three and a half years for the average career. Um, Not thinking that I was going to only play three and a half years, but knowing, understanding that, you know, this this career as a football player only lasts until you're 30, 35 at the longest, you know. So it was just me just trying to figure out what I want to do post-career and getting an uh, early jump started on that situation. What are the similarities in running a film production company and working for a football team? I mean, it, t- I mean, it takes a team uh, to be able to, to make a great product as far as film, and it takes a team um, to win games as well, you know. So, I mean, from the, the management level of the owner to, you know, the, the GM assembling uh, all the talent 
uh, whether it be for film or for for the football team uh, obviously your head coach which is the director that's scheming everything up you know and um, head coach that's uh, orchestrating everything as far as getting the vision uh, that he wants uh, to to make his identity as a football team you know so I mean there's a lot of similarities within that aspect from uh, filmmaking and um, professional sports or football more importantly which aspects do you like the most do you like the ownership aspect where you're overseeing everything do you like the director aspect where you're telling the story which do you like the most out of it um i mean i like like the storytelling aspect but i also like to be hands-on um just because i'm hands-on with what i do with football and everything and uh learning all the moving parts as far as um what's the the most effective way for us to in this case football to to be able to win games you know just understanding and being cerebral especially at my position you know whether it be at uh in my past playing nickel cornerback spot or the outside and now moving to safety to where it's more um, knowledge for the game and stuff like that let's fast forward a couple months from now what do you think will be the story that'll be told about the philadelphia eagles well, we're going to the playoffs and competing for a championship you know that's the i mean that's the mindset you know even though we just uh lost the past two games you know i mean it's a it's a situation that you know that's not defining our season you know it's still early uh we're gonna go back and, and get everything situated and make the necessary corrections that we need to to come back and get a, a victory on sunday so I asked you at the top of the interview about who's the smartest player, and I mentioned how you play safety and it's a very cerebral position. How much study, how much work do you have to do to put into, do you have to put into to be able to play the position? Because you're obviously playing in space all the time. You have to know what the opposing offense is going to do. How difficult is that aspect of it versus just being able to go out and play? You know, especially within our defense, you know, it's a lot of moving components, you know, as far as um, formations and shifts and motions and the, co- uh, the coverage is constantly changed. Uh, on every down so I mean you have to be very cerebral to be able to play in this defense you know if you're a cornerback safety or linebacker most importantly you know because they're also they're constantly making um, different calls and set the protections and in the fronts for the defense and stuff like that so I mean you have to be very knowledgeable in this defense and it takes a, a special player to be able to play in this type of defense. How different is it seeing the game from the corner positions where you were outside or nickel to where you're at now? in the deep field i mean it's it's more reading uh the quarterback's movements you know especially with some of the job description that i have within the defense you know some of it's a a vision and break some of it's a freelance type of situation to where i'm more reading uh anticipating route combinations and stuff like that so um it's just allowed me to be able to play in space also being able to use my instincts uh, as well as a football player so how do you gauge when you go one for the other you mentioned you have some opportunities to freelance, so it's. I mean, that's really just predicated on the defense. You know, um, it could be down in distance. It could just be just a, the just a normal call. You know, which allowed me to be able to have a little bit more freedom as far as my job responsibility is, as far as reading routes and reading quarterbacks. So, Walter, you signed here with the Eagles as a free agent. How long was it after that when the team came to you and said, "You know what? You've got this ball hawking ability, high IQ player." Why don't we try putting you back at safety and see how this goes? It wasn't until we started with uh, with OTAs when we actually started getting out there and going against one another um, was the first time uh, one of the coaches came to me and asked me if I wanted to make this the switch over from corner to safety, and that it was totally up to up to me if I wanted to make that move. And really? I just felt comfortable with that, um, knowing with the with Nolan and what was going to give us the best uh, four players to be able to to play out there on Sundays. It's interesting because you mentioned Nolan. You almost signed here the year before. Mm -hmm. 
do you think about at all what might have happened if you had signed here in 2014 and Nolan didn't sign here and you still end up here a year later regardless? Have you thought about how weird that uh, the chain of events has been for you in the last you know, 12 um, months or so? Yeah, I mean, like you said, I was uh, very close to signing here last year. Um, we did, uh, my agent and I, seeing that they did sign Nolan and it was just kind of a, a crowded cornerback position and we wanted to go out there for a uh, to a situation that was a better opportunity to be able to compete for a starting job and we thought that that was a situation to go in uh with new york and uh my season got cut short there playing um with the torn pack in, in week two and um i think if i would have came here last year i think i would have been more in a cornerback position as opposed to the safety you know because you still had nate allen here and you still had yeah. some other safeties that um that were um in that defensive back room is this sort of rejuvenate your career almost so to speak being able to move to a new position and thriving in it in such a short amount of time? Yeah, I mean, I never really uh, looked at it like that. You know, it just has a, um, just a bad little spell with injuries and stuff like that. You know, it's just, uh, you know, it's part of the game. You know, it's the, the nature of the game that we play is, is just really physical and uh, vicious in nature. And, you know, those are going to be expected, you know, uh, unfortunately. But uh, um, I think it's a great opportunity for me to be able to, to sh showcase my ability, you know, whether if I was going to be on the outside or if I was going to be uh, obviously playing in the safety position. Um, I'm just taking it with um, just very uh, great for the opportunity to be able to play in the safety position. And I think it's allowing me to be able to use uh, more of my instincts than, um, than I probably could have at the cornerback position, you know, just because we would have been in a more of a man-to-man -man situation and stuff. So, so is that the key? To getting all the interceptions because you've, we've heard Bill Davis, we've heard Chip Kelly talk about how you're always around the football. Is it the instinct more than anything else? I mean, I think it's, uh, it's also the, just the knowledge of the game, you know, route recognition as far as understanding uh, the formations and what routes they want to run predicated on down and distance. I mean, th I think that helps me as well. But then also just the, the natural instincts and in wanting to be around the ball and wanting to, to contribute and make a play. Have you always been a student of the game? Have you always been a film junkie, someone who's, you know, breaking down? the tape over and over again um yeah I, i'll going back to college and stuff like that um with the with some of the coaching staff here you know uh, i played with matthew harper who's the assistant D, uh, D, db coach and we would go in there and watch film and how weird is that that he's your coach uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I have a lot of respect for uh, matt you know i mean he, he was a great player when we played in oregon you know i mean he's also a great coach as well because i mean he did play safety and so i mean he's always constantly teaching me um, how to how I can get better and perfect my craft uh, at the being this being a new position for myself, you know. So um, it's been great to have him in there. What's it like working alongside Malcolm Jenkins? Uh, Malcolm is a, is a great football player. You know, he's very instinctual, very smart as well. Uh, ultimate competitor, and he's one of those guys who who wants to get better each and every day, and he and he loves the challenge of of you know going out there playing nickel now you know and he uh i think he's i think he really loves it because it takes him back to his corner days when he's back in ohio state because he made that quick switch to safety as soon as he came in the league and so i think he really uh likes that uh, situation of going down and guarding the slot receiver and playing nickel when did that come up because at the end of the preseason a lot of guys were being worked in there and quite honestly it was a surprise to most people in week one when you guys opened against atlanta that Jenkins was was a slot guy. So when did that come to fruition? When was that uh, kind of put in the works? That was the week of Atlanta. I mean, it was it was preparation for game week. You know, uh, Coach Davis talked to myself and Malcolm uh, just saying that, you know, one of us are going to be going down there uh, to play the nickel 
the nickel spot and Marigos was going to come in at safety um, in those third down situations or those passing situations. And I think they feel comfortable with having Malcolm uh, down there while um, uh, Eric gets more familiar with the NFL and getting comfortable with his technique and stuff like that before they uh, put him out there. There was some talk that you might have actually gone into the nickel this past week against Dallas. When did that change? Or and again, it was the uh, start of the last week. You know, it was a possibility um, just for just matchup purposes mm-hmm. and stuff like that, you know. And then ultimately, we just stayed um, just normal. Uh, Malcolm covering the slot and uh, myself covered, covering down on tight end and just kept it normal. So I want to go through your interceptions to this point, starting the preseason and that acrobatic, the Nolan Carroll tips the ball into the air, or at least he said he tipped the ball into the air, and you made the one-handed grab. Can you just take me through your thought process and – did no one really mean to uh, kind of hit it up like a beach ball to you? You know, it was um, – no one had great coverage on the play, you know, and they were running away from my leverage. So, I mean, I couldn't go there to make a play. So I was uh, instantly changed my mind that no one was going to be able to make that play, you know. And then the fact that I was going to be playing for the tip, I was expecting there to, t- to be a tip, you know, because Nolan had just great coverage. And uh, luckily enough, he was able to tip it, and it bounced right into my direction. I just capitalized on opportunity. How do you gauge where to go when a tip ball happens like that? It's almost, I'm thinking like a rebound in basketball where you got to gauge, you know, you look at the shot and you try to guess how far it's going to come off the rim. How do you do that? It's the same the thing, field? you know, it was just look, looking at the ball coming down and, and, and just tracking it the whole time and seeing where the, uh, where the ball was going to be tipped from, you know, and just really just reacting uh, to the ball's deflection. All right, so next week, Green Bay, Brett Hundley, the rookie, you get the pick six. Can you take me through your vantage point on that? I mean, we were just uh, in man coverage. I think we brought our five-man pressure side, inside leverage, and um, he kind of ran into me and it was breaking out and kind of a little slipped, and I just looked back for the quarterback and just capitalized on that play as well. Did you enjoy the high-stepping? Oh, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I did. You know, that was just a, a, a nod to, uh, to Dion, prime time for you right there. It's, it's funny how defensive backs all love Dion, But, of course, in Philadelphia, he's, like, one of the most despised players yeah, of right. all yeah, time, so to yeah. speak. But whenever it's a defensive back, you're like, you understand they have to pay homage. Yeah, it's how yeah, it goes. Exactly. Season opener, the play that turned the tide, got you guys back in the game, was it intercepts against Matt Ryan. Uh, it looked like you kind of were fooled Matt Ryan. Like, he didn't really see you kind of lurking, but you knew what was going on the whole time. What was your uh, – take me through that play. You know, that was a, a man situation, but that play allowed me to be just a free roamer. And, uh, again, it was predicated on down distance and just formation recognition. And it was going to go uh, that I was looking for uh, Julio to to run the inside uh, broken dig route. And once I seen that that wasn't happening, I knew that the backside dig was coming as well. And so I did shuffle over, and he thought that open spot was going to be there. I just came and broke back on it, you know. This Sunday, you guys are playing New York Jets team not known for its offense but they have Brandon Marshall who's as big as they come as physical as they come what kind of challenges does he present I mean he's a great football player you know I mean he's uh he has great size um he, he can he can run his just great uh football IQ as well and I think uh Fritz Pratchett you know he's he's one of those guys who who has an arm who can throw it and he's looking to throw it to it in his direction you know I think Deckard ended up getting hurt this past mm-hmm. weekend. So, I mean, there's going to be a lot of focus on Brandon Marshall getting a lot of balls thrown his way and stuff like that. And, I mean, they have a great uh, running attack as well with Chris Ivory, who uh, I'm actually I'm, I'm a fan of his running his running style. And Very stuff like physical. That. Very, Very physical nasty. Runner. Yeah, so, I mean, it's going to be it's gonna be a great challenge for us as a defense to be able to stop him, you know, and it's, um, it's going to be a fun opportunity. And um, just looking forward to the outcome. 
I know that you only played with the Giants for the one year, but is it weird going back to MetLife Stadium and kind of like, do I go to the visitor's locker room, the Giants locker room, the the Jets locker You know, there's all the different locker rooms there. What's the feeling going to be like there for – I mean, we, we were just up there a couple of weeks ago for the, the final preseason game. Preseason, know. though. Yeah, it was it's pre- preseason. It's preseason, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, um, I mean, I haven't played against the Jets in the regular season, so I don't know what type of – how their fans are compared to Giants fans are and stuff like that. So, I mean, uh, I mean it's just just going out there and just paying attention to detail as far as our, our coverage is concerned and what they're going to be uh, showing us from an offensive standpoint. All right. Walter Thurman, best of luck to you the rest of the season, and I hope the uh, ending that you've uh, – projected here will certainly come to, to fruition. So thank you. Appreciate it. Walter Thurman, our guest this week on the interview on the Eagles Insider Podcast. Time to get ready for game day. It's time for enemy intel. All right. It is time for enemy intel here on the Eagles Insider Podcast. I'm Alex Smith, joined by our very own version of Pope Francis, Pope Fran, who's joining me. It's blasphemy, but we'll let it go. Well, we'll, we'll I, keep it going. You're the, the Pope of watching <laughs> film. Here at the Novacare Complex, you said it, not me. Uh, let's let's <laughs> 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 let's jump right into it here. Uh, obviously, we're filming this on Monday afternoon, so the Jets haven't played their second game yet. But just going off of what you saw from the first game, let's first look at the Jets' passing game versus the Eagles' secondary. Ryan Fitzpatrick only threw for 179 yards against Cleveland in Week One, but it was enough to win. He relied on that running game, got the job done. How do you see this panning out against the Eagles? You know, it's funny. I didn't watch the, or I didn't look at the stats from the game until after I watched the tape from the the Cleveland game for the Jets. And it was just interesting looking back at, you know, looking back at my notes. I didn't think that they ran the ball particularly well. And then when I looked at the numbers, I was like, oh wow, they actually did pick it up in, in big chunks. You know, so it was just interesting seeing. I, I didn't feel like, oh wow, this this Jets offensive line is really moving uh, this Cleveland defensive line. But you know, you, when I watched Fitzpatrick, he's just one of those guys that's really interesting to see because he's a veteran guy. He's not afraid to cut it loose. There are some of those throws where you're thinking, like, what is this guy doing throwing the ball? And he's able to fit it into a tight window. Just because, and it's not like he's got this great arm. He's just he throws with anticipation. He gets the ball out quickly. Is he a game manager? I guess if the, if you want to use the, the that term, yeah. I mean, I guess he he is kind of that game manager. He's not afraid to uh, throw those deep shot plays. Uh, they hit a couple vertical routes in terms of the you know the, the dagger route with a deep dig. Some of the vertical routes to, to Brandon Marshall. So he's not afraid to throw those. They did a lot of three level stretch things and things of that nature from a vertical pass game standpoint but you know that that's the interesting part I thought because you know you have Geno Smith and then you have Ryan Fitzpatrick and it's two kind of different skill sets in terms of what they can do but obviously they'd rather have Geno in terms of what he can do physically but Fitzpatrick it's fun watching Fitzpatrick because you just don't expect what he does yeah the the Harvard guy just slinging around out there sure it's got a nice beard going too or at least he did We'll have to check and see what that looks like on game day. Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker, two physical wide receivers. What kind of challenges do they present for the Eagles? Well, Marshall is just one of those guys that physically he's just one of the most imposing receivers in the game just because of his size, his ability to go up and win at the catch point. I I remember that play that he made last year. I think it was against San Francisco down in the red zone where he made that one-handed catch behind his body. Just an unbelievable guy at the catch point where he's able to beat defenders uh, and separate at the last second. And that's what he is. Uh, He can get downfield. He uses his frame. And then... And Decker is just one of those guys. He's a sneaky vertical threat, almost like Fitz. 
Fitzpatrick and that you look at Eric Decker, you're like, okay, you, you don't know if you're going to have to be worried about the guy. But then the next thing you know, he's running past you for one of those deep post routes. So Derek, Decker's interesting. They've got Jeremy Curley in the slot, who I think is a pretty interesting guy. But then you look at Quincy Anunwa, who's seen a lot of playing time, and he's a, he's a vertical guy, one of those one-cut route runners. But I've always liked him in the, in the backfield. I've always liked Chris Ivory just because he's got that physical nature. He's got that ability to stick his foot in the ground and get downhill. Ivory's, Ivory's a tough guy to bring down. So it's an interesting offense for sure. Next up, I think this is the matchup that everyone's going to be focusing in on on Sunday afternoon, and it's the Jets' defensive front versus the Eagles' O-line. We know about the struggles that, that the Eagles' O-line has, has had, and then you have a guy like Muhammad Wilkerson, who, Fran, I'm sure you're a big fan of. Very, very aware um, of what Muhammad can do. Uh, where does he go to school? He went to, uh, he went to Temple, Temple, to you. Do you know anyone else who went to Temple? Fran Duffy went to Temple. That is correct. Uh, but obviously, uh, all kidding aside, he's an all-pro player on that yes. defensive line. How does that matchup pan out? It was interesting because whenever I, whenever I'm watching tape, I have all of the segments that I have to do throughout the week in mind. So kind of have a, a, a sheet of paper, a rundown with here are all the segments I've got to do from a print standpoint for Eagle Eye, from a podcast standpoint, from a video standpoint, with whether it's for game plan or for some of the segments on the site. Fran Duffy does it all. Yeah. So, you know, I kind of have an idea of, okay, where, what am I going to build? And one of the things is that I, I produce is scouting report where you pick one player and focus on, uh, you know, three or four players from the opposing team and kind of break him down with Mike Quick and Ike Reese. So I kind of went in knowing, okay, I'm going to try and do Muhammad Wilkerson. Muhammad makes a play, and I'm like, okay, that's going on the scouting report. And then Leonard Williams makes a play, and I'm like, oh, man, that, that's a good story too. Like working <laughs> on Leonard Williams, for, you know, he's a top 10 pick. Uh, he's a great talent. We, we know what he can do. And then Muhammad makes another play, and I'm like, oh, maybe I'll go Muhammad. And then Leonard Williams makes another play, and I'm like, man, these two guys just playing side by side. Sheldon Richardson still isn't even in the lineup. Just imagining what those three will look like along the same defensive front will be very, very interesting. But Wilkerson's great just because he's got the athleticism. He's got outstanding length. He's made plays in the past with his high motor. He's got good athleticism, like I mentioned. So just in terms of his ability to hold up at the point of attack as a run defender, and then also just his ability to win on stunts, and that's something that we're seeing a lot from this defense now with Todd Bowles there is they mix things up up front and they do a lot of different things from a, a stunt and twist and blitz standpoint where you're going to see all these guys on the move. So uh, Muhammad Wilkerson, Leonard Williams lines up all over the place. He was very, very good against the run against Cleveland. So it's, it's going to be a very, very tough matchup for the Eagles offensive line. For fans that haven't seen Wilkerson play, how similar is his game to a Fletcher Cox? They're similar. They're just the slightly different body types. You know, Wilkerson's kind of has that leaner frame, so he looks like he's got a little bit more length to him. But, you know, they're, they're very similar in what they can do and what their skill sets are in terms of their athleticism and ability to hold up against the run. And, and Williams brings a lot of those similar traits. So, you know, and actually I think I might have said it in the spring that Leonard Williams reminded me of almost a said Thornton type in terms of his body type and what he can do in terms of getting after the passer and then also defending the run. Last but certainly not least, the Jets secondary against this Eagles offense that couldn't get anything going against the Cowboys. Obviously, Revis back into the fold there in New York. Cromartie on the outside. Todd Bowles, defensive-minded coach, taking over. What do you see here? Well, one thing I was very interested to see was we talked about last year when we were facing the Cardinals, that dime package and their ability. They would bring Dion Buchanan, who was a starting safety. They'd bring him into the box, and he'd be that dime linebacker. And then they did so many different things because he gave them the ability to defend the run because of just his fierce ability to defend the run and play inside the box. But then also from a coverage and blitz standpoint, uh, he's just kind of that versatile, movable chess piece. So I was kind of thinking, okay, they're going to play a good amount of dime. Didn't see any dime. Didn't see any dime at all against Cleveland. It was all nickel for the most part. It was nickel and base. And that was surprising to me a little bit. But you saw Kelvin Pryor and Marcus Gilchrist as the starting the starters at safety. 
You saw uh, Darrell Rivas and Antonio Cromartie. Buster Screen would come in and play the slot. Cromartie got hurt, and then you saw a young guy, Marcus Williams, come in. He's a young guy. I think it's his second or third year from North Dakota State. We saw him at, live at the Shrine game, and he really impressed me when I was down there. And just his ability, he's got good length, got good athleticism, and he had a pick six in the game against Cleveland. I think he's just one of those guys that is always around the football. So even if Cromartie's not in the lineup, I think you've got Screen. You've got, obviously, Darrell Rivas. They've got a deep secondary group. Uh, and just the, and that doesn't even count the former first round pick D Milliner, who's on IR, doesn't need to return. So really J- interesting. Jaquan Jarrett, I believe, is Jaquan still, Jarrett is still, still there. The another, te- well. another Temple guy. Yeah, he's the backup at free safety behind. I think behind Gilchrist. So and they've got a number of different pieces. They rotate those guys in and out. They play a ton of man coverage. They run a lot of different designer blitzes. So I'll do a lot of pieces on those kind of things this week. Pre- preparation for the Jets, just because you see all these different kinds of looks. We're going to talk a lot about the AAA gap blitz. We saw that with Arizona the past two years. We'll see it again this week with the Jets. Lots of different looks from these Todd Bowles fronts. Fran Duffy, the man, breaks it all down here. All the X's and O's here on Enemy Intel. Now let's move ahead in the podcast to game time. Get out your scorecards. It's game time. All right, guys. Let's bring the energy up a bunch here on the Eagles Insider Podcast. It's it's a tough day following that Dallas loss, but let's play some games. Let's get back and do a, a bit of a groove here. So the game today, I've been trying to go with a theme with the last two game times. So oh, you we had? Yes. So we had Peachy or Ricci Peachy for the Atlanta Ricci. game. So that was because it was the Peach State. Sure. And then on the bandwagon, which was for the Dallas Cowboys game. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to keep that up until I run out of ideas, which is going to be soon because this one was even a bit of a stretch. Since we're playing the Jets, I decided to go with an airport theme. So today's game is called At the Terminal, Delayed or Canceled. So I will read you a statement and you will tell me if it's delayed as in, it, it, it deals with teams that get, are getting off to slow starts. Teams okay. or players that are getting off to slow okay. starts. Right. You have to tell me if it's delayed, delayed as in you, you think it's going to turn around, or canceled, as like in it. it's, like it. it's, that's what it's going to be. I mean, yeah, What's ironic is that the Eagles don't take Don't have to jet. take a plane. I know. I was thinking the same exact thing. But <laughs> I'm going to let it fly. We're playing it go. the Jets. Let it fly. <laughs> I mean, we can, let we it can fly. call this at the bus terminal <laughs> if you wanted to. It's, I don't know. I'm trying, guys. All right. First one. The NFC East as a whole. Three and five right now. Will they pick it up? Is their flight delayed or canceled? Is this going to be, you know, an eight wins gets you the division crown? I think it's delayed. I don't think it's going to be that ugly. Certainly the Cowboys will be something to watch. How can Brandon Whedon kind of hold the ship? Because that's an offense where, all right, it was built to have the stud running back kind of dictate things. All right, and you could put it in the hands of Tony Romo, make it a ball control offense. Well, that really, does that fit Brandon Whedon's skill set? I don't know. They go from Tony Romo, uh, DeMarco Murray, and Des Bryant a year ago to Brandon Whedon, Joseph Randall, and Terrence, and Terrence Williams. Williams. Yeah. Hey, so. Brandon Whedon uh, wasn't too bad yesterday. No. Seven for seven, 73 yards. Yeah. 42-yard touchdown. So, all right. I'm, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking of Bo Wolf I'm here. Thinking, like, I know, me too. What would, I'm thinking, what, what would he Bo say? Wolf what would Bo say? <laughs> Did they have to get the wheelchair <laughs> to get him out of the stadium? <laughs> Something along those lines. I would say delayed, too. I think it's only a matter of time before some of these other teams. The Giants are a team that consistently starts slow and then always picks it up at the end. We know what we think the Eagles can do uh, down the stretch here. I say down the stretch as in there's, there's 14 games yeah. left in the schedule. But, you know, I, I think we, we all think that this division has uh, more to give. Certainly. Moving to the NFC North. It's a very similar situation uh, to what we have here in the East. Detroit and Chicago, both 0-2. The Lions and the Bears, are their flights delayed or canceled? Canceled. Chicago, I was Chicago canceled. Was canceled yeah. Chicago was canceled. That wasn't taken off at all no, this season. No, that's grounded. No hair. That's not, that's not taken off. <laughs> Detroit, now, you know, they they let the lead 
evaporate against San Diego. Mm-hmm. They can't get things going against Minnesota. You know, I love Amir Abdullah, but it doesn't seem like they want to commit to the run game at all. Matthew Stafford, there's questions about it. I think he might have an injury coming out of the game against Minnesota. You know, they lost those pieces up front. They lost Ndamukong Sue, Nick Fairley. I mean, those aren't easy guys to replace. To me, I, I think they might be canceled. They might be a team that was, you know, a playoff team, one that should have beaten Dallas last year, but they're not going to get back there. I, th- I think there were a lot of people's chic team to take the next step. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of you had a team last year that I think overachieved from what people thought. It was a new staff, and everyone was talking very highly about Joe Lombardi and about Terrell Austin, their coordinators there, and just what they were able to get out of that roster. You touched on it, C-Mac. They had a lot of losses this offseason, some new pieces in there. I'm still I'm gonna I'm gonna give him a few more weeks. I'm gonna say it's delayed on Detroit. But was this as a whole though? As a whole, I though, thought this was as no, a whole. As a whole, so. yeah, I, I would say I mean it's canceled. Especially for Chicago, I think it's canceled. No. Another slow start for a team that, you know, people thought could be a Super Bowl winner this year. The Seattle Seahawks. They hung tough against Green Bay. But 0-2 after adding Jimmy Graham, and, and we all know how solid that defense is. Obviously, they don't have Cam Chancellor. Yeah. The Seattle Seahawks, is their flight delayed or canceled? I believe in the Seahawks. I think they're delayed. I was watching a good chunk of the game Sunday night while uh, you know editing your fine stories, Alex. Thank you. At Novacare, you know, when Russell Wilson got hot there in the second half, you saw what he could do. Seems like they're still trying to figure out how to use Jimmy Graham. The Cam Chancellor situation is interesting. You know, that's one of the heart and soul leaders of your defense type players. Definitely missing something with him there. But I still think that at the end of the day, this is a good enough team. Now, the run they've had with, you know, two straight Super Bowl appearances and, you know, winning one of them, it takes a toll on a team. You know, I, I saw, you, we all saw what the Eagles did that stretch from 2000 to 2004. I, I think it's delayed. I still think it's delayed with Seattle. Yeah, I, I think it's delayed. With Jimmy Graham going to you know to the Seahawks, and you know you kind of wondered what was the identity of their offense going to be. They re-signed Russell Wilson. They re-signed Marshawn Lynch. So a lot of the pieces coming back. But when you put a guy like that into the program, and he can potentially change the dynamic of that offense, uh, a lot of people were really wondering how he was going to fit in. What was it going to look like? And I think they're still kind of finding their way through that a little bit. There's already been murmurs. You know, I saw on Pro Football Talk this week. Uh, that he's unhappy with the role in the offense and how are they going to get things turned around. It's two games in. I'm not I'm not pushing the panic button yet. I would I would say it's delayed. Moving right along. C-Mac, one of your favorites, Peyton Manning. Mm. Valiant comeback effort against the Chiefs, but are we starting to see a drop off in, in what he can do? They're 2-0, They're two but and I, I'm not I'm not talking about the Denver Broncos. I'm talking about Peyton Manning. Is he going to turn this around and and you know, get back to anywhere near where he was or is this what we're going to get well, out of Peyton Manning? It's hard to say it delayed or canceled here because he obviously played well enough to bring them back against a good Chiefs defense that was bringing waves of pass rush. Justin Houston was phenomenal in the first half of that game. And, you know, the Broncos, I didn't see the first game against Baltimore, found a way to win late. But, you know, Peyton Manning is adjusting to a new offense this late in his career. He certainly doesn't have the physical skill set that he once had, but he still has the mind. The question for me is going to be those those wintry months. Yep. That's, uh, that's where I think you could see the impact. And if they're not able, the offensive line, you know, we talk about the offensive line here in Philadelphia. Hey, Evan Mathis has not been playing great for that Denver offensive line. And that Denver offensive line, they lost Ryan Clady, and they've struggled to get going. And I think that's what Gary Kubiak and John Elway were probably hoping. You know, John Elway was probably thinking, how did I win my two Super Bowls? I had Terrell Davis. Who can I give to Payne Manning to kind of let him ride off into the sunset? And I don't know if they have the answer there. So I think they're going to be as good as they've been in previous years early on in the season. But could we see a December tailspin? That's going to be something to watch. 
Pro Football Focus rated Alan Barber and Andrew Gardner ahead of Evan Mathis mm-hmm. this week. Just throwing it out there. But how did um, Bo sorry. Football Focus rate? I don't know how Bo Football, Bo football Focus, focus. treated it. But anyway, I would say it's delayed for Peyton Manning. Although I am a Brock Osweiler fan, so I'm putting that out there. So there you go. <laughs> Didn't think we were going to get a Brock Osweiler <laughs> reference today on the podcast. Another player in a similar situation, Drew Brees and the Saints. Saints are 0-2. That's canceled. The dome effect is gone. Breeze, apparently we're getting the breaking news alert on uh, the NFL mobile app that he may miss games with a shoulder injury. There's questions whether I, I love Brandon Cooks. You know, he was uh, someone that the Eagles liked a lot in uh, 2014 draft. Thought he could have been a pick there at, was it number 22 yep. for them? Can he be the focal point of a passing attack? But, you know, they beefed up the running game. It just hasn't been enough. So they've struggled out of the gate. So to me, and with the add on to it, the struggles they've had on defense, I think the Saints are canceled. It's Garrett Grayson time, though. If you're all those uh, that what, followed along on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA this offseason, you know I, I like Garrett Grayson, who is, could be thrown into the fire here. But what about Luke McCown? He's got all those commercials. He's got the commercials. He's got the quarterback. Uh, that's why he's got to stay as the backup. And he they can't play. <laughs> They'd have to cancel the, the ads, right, if he, if he goes true. in. That's like the uh, curse all of a sudden. <laughs> poor, poor Luke McCown. He looks so sad in those ads. <laughs> I do say that the Saints are probably in trouble, so it's probably canceled. All right. That's all I got. That was That was game time for this week. The entertainment value for that segment, was it delayed or canceled? I think we delayed it long enough to get into mailing it in. It was good intentions. It was well done. It was pretty good, Alex. All right. Let's go to mailing it in. Captain, incoming message. Please check your mailbox. A new message has arrived. And now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in our segment, Mailing It In. All right. It's the final segment of the show. It's Mailing It In. And, uh... This is a very interesting Twitter handle, to say the least. So I put it out on Twitter early Monday morning, knowing the frustration, the disappointment. The Eagles fans are feeling there'd be a lot of questions, and certainly fans did not disappoint. So the first one of the first responses we got was from an interesting Twitter handle at homeless one ten. So at homeless one ten, you have a home here on the Eagles Insider. Yes, podcast. you do. Needless to say, homeless one ten wants to know what is wrong with Demarco Murray. And I know we touched on it earlier in the show. Fran, you delved into the tape, but simply, when you're getting hit in the backfield, when as soon as you get the ball, yeah. it's hard to get anything going. Yeah, I don't know how much of this I'm going to be putting on DeMarco Murray. 16 carries total, 11 of them, the running back, was hit at or before the line of scrimmage. So, kind of tough sledding here for DeMarco Murray, for Ryan Matthews, for Sproles. And plus, look, it was only 16 carries yesterday. That's obviously not the number that I think this coaching staff wanted to reach in terms of carries for the running backs. Kind of a tough sample size right now. Yeah, yeah I don't think there's anything wrong with DeMarco Murray. I think that he was the best player on the field for the Eagles at times yesterday. And well, he wanted to win. I mean, that oh, was... yeah. I mean, he got into that scuffle with Dan Bailey, and <laughs> which was just awesome. Whenever, you know, a, a kicker on the sideline decides to go after DeMarco Murray. Very interesting. But um, I thought, you know, obviously couldn't get anything going uh, in the running game, but he had a nice game out of the backfield, five catches, 53 yards. He obviously really wanted to win that game, but I think he's fine. It, it's more up front. All right. Now, next question comes from a longtime friend of PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Zompster. Zompie. He wants to know, why does Byron Maxwell play off coverage after hearing all season that he was going to be jamming at the line of scrimmage? Well, you're not going to play press every single play. Very rarely do you see a defense play press every single play. Depends on the play that you're talking about, but... I don't know is the is the answer. I mean, there are some plays where, like I said, there are gonna your your corners aren't gonna be playing press. Uh, I don't know if he's talking about the touchdown that he allowed late in the game. Talked about how you know 
the exhaustion factor may have factored in at that point. I think there was play 85 or 84 yeah. for the defense at that point. I mean, the bigger thing there is it's cover zero and he's playing with outside leverage, funneling inside where there's no safety help. That's the bigger thing on that play as opposed to playing off or press. But, yeah, I mean, that's, that's it's kind of a tough question to answer. That's the thing. What is Maxwell supposed to do? If he's playing the outside, allowing the release inside, and if, I guess if you don't have safety help, then I guess is you that let the him outside. Issue? Yeah, you let him outside. Yeah, you're trying to force him to the sideline because your help at that point is the sideline. Sideline's undefeated. He's never allowed the sideline is never allowed to pass. Well, there you go. Is that who's uh coaching not Chris Stevens coach at Albright, that's no. for sure. Wow. Just gonna man. keep it going. Wow. <laughs> uh, he doesn't even have a microphone to defend himself. Yeah, he can't defend himself here. <laughs> oh brutal. Well, Chris, he couldn't defend Rashid Bailey either. <laughs> <laughs> you laid it up I there. I had to take it. I had to take I, it. I wasn't gonna <laughs> I wasn't gonna go down this road. If you listen to the it was before the New York Jets, the final preseason game, Rasheed Bailey was our guest. Rasheed Bailey took on our producer Chris Stevens from Delval, played Albright, and uh Rasheed Bailey had a had a good game. I'll leave it at that. I'm sorry, Chris. The next question Things comes just took from, a turn here on the podcast. It really did. I really <laughs> Oh man. We've had it's the mood for the last two podcasts. Obviously off losses, so but last week yeah. we were we were all cranky as can be and this salty. One's been, hasn't been as cranky. The thing with, with it's later the in the game, day. Later in the day, it wasn't it wasn't a night game. The thing is, the way the team played early on, it was one of those games where you could just sense. That we had a couple of hours to let it sink in. You had a few hours to let it sink in, but you just knew that they, they didn't have it. Yeah, time. you know, it wasn't a game that they rallied like Atlanta. They, you really didn't expect the poor performance, and then especially in the first half, and they rallied back, and the frustrating way they lost, and the fact that it was a night game, that just left you bitter because you just expected them to win that game. I fully expected them to win that game, but there are just times when you watch this team, and this has just been from over the years, where you're like, it's not there today. And I still held a hope. I was I was optimistic up until, I would say, the, the fumbled snap yep. oh, after yeah. the fumble. That Me was too. probably – some people – I know some people were like, oh, once they saw the Sean Lee interception in the yeah. end zone, they said that's when they were like, it's over. We've already seen enough crazy endings this year in football, whether it's at NFL or college, to, to give up. And I, I'm with you. At that point, even with how poorly the Eagles had played up to that point, the game was still there for the taking. Yeah, I just remember I was text, texting you know friends and family and just being like, they're going to come back and win this, you know? Greg Cosell was adamant that he thought they were going to come back and win the game. I, I had that weird feeling that they were going to find a way to win it. Yep. They didn't get it done. But uh, Next question comes from, I'm going to mispronounce this really badly, so I apologize in advance, from Hugh La on Twitter. And uh, what's the biggest offseason move that the team is regretting right now? I don't know if there's one that they're going to say, oh. Well, not ooh. that they're going to say, of course. I don't know. Of course. I, but if you you have the time machine right now, you know, I know a lot of people want points to the offensive line, and, you know, they had targets in free agency that didn't work out. There were players they wanted in the draft, but there was a slew. There was that run in, like, the second round where guys came off the board. Yeah. And when the team went up for Eric Rowe, it wasn't like you were like, oh, it's, you know. No, I don't think you're regretting anything at this point. It's only week two. Yeah, hindsight is twenty twenties. I mean, everybody, not everybody, but there are people who were excited when, when all these changes were happening with all the new talent that was being brought in. I think anybody, any fan out there would have signed up for having DeMarco Murray, Ryan Matthews, and Darren Sproles as your running backs. Of course. I think, you know, people were ecstatic about that. So it, it's hard to say. Katie Robertson on Twitter wants to know, should they go to Sanchez? No. No. I just I, don't think there's anything that Mark could do 
that would be different in these situations. The only reason that fans are thinking that is because Sanchez has familiarity in the system, and I think he can run it well. Uh, I for, well, I forget what his record was last year. Was four and four, four, four but you four know, four, he, he was okay. He was, he was the Houston. He pretty much did all the Houston stuff. So right, I, five I, I and four think, include that. I think that I think he's probably the best backup quarterback in the league, and he can run this offense very well at, at a at a high rate. But it's we're only two games in. It's not time to push the panic button yet. I think Sanchez is, is more than capable if he's called upon, but not Certainly. yet. I just don't know what could Mark have done in that situation yesterday with the receivers dropping passes, with the penetration from the defense, with the run game not getting going. Nothing. I don't think there's anything he could have done. Let's see. Anthony D. at Ayers, 0807. Are there better guards on the bench? And no. Chip has already said that he's not going to change personnel, and I think that would be the wrong move because – it's not just the guards struggling, as we pointed out, but you're trying to build the cohesion and chemistry, yeah, and you're just going to throw it for totally out of loop if you're going to now just put a new guy in and just think, okay, it's going to be all. You're start, starting from scratch again. Yeah. I think, especially in a scheme like this where you know you're, you have the zone blocking up front, you want that cohesion. You want those guys uh, being used to being next to one another. we got to ride it out. I, mean, I, I got to think that they're going to execute better than what we have seen over the first two weeks. I think that Barber and Gardner during the preseason – prove that they were the best guys for the starting spots certainly Uh, certainly absolutely i mean i've seen people talking about a malcolm bunch from the practice squad and it shows promise you have josh andrews yeah it's it's all guys you're not sure about why not let these guys who have proven themselves through the preseason and last year when they were able to get in there and play as backups last year they have time in the system you have to build that cohesion last one at canes eagles one is sunday's game a must win i mean it's a must win from the standpoint of you can't go 0-3 and then start thinking of lofty expectations. I mean, there's got to be some kind of turnaround. I'd say it's a must-win. You know, it's not – are you mathematically eliminated? No. no. Yeah. I don't know what the numbers are for 0-3 teams, but certainly when you looked at the schedule and you looked at these first three games, I think most people felt Eagles should win two of the first three, at the very, yeah. if not all three, quite honestly. I, re- I remember looking at the schedule and, and people breaking it down into quarters, and if you go to the first four games, the Eagles easily could have been 3-1 and or 4-0 and even. So, I don't know. It's Like you said, it, it, they're not going to be mathematically eliminated, but I really think they need to win this game. Although we did look at it, we were looking at, um, it was the Colts last year, started 0-2, and, yeah. and they were able to turn it around. Obviously, it's a different situation. They were 0-2, year. though. Right. They, they were 0-3. Were they right. 0-2... There are examples of 0-2 and, and coming back. I don't know what the 0-3 success right. stories are, and I don't really feel like doing those stories next week. I'm trying <laughs> to, you know, yeah. trying to spit shine being like, all right, guys, they're, they're that much yeah. closer to turning this around. As true as that will be when we are very close to turning <laughs> it around at 0-3. Yeah. No, I think it's a must win. It's a much tougher game than people realize, too. It definitely is. Now, we'll see how the Jets come out of the Monday night game. I know Chris Ivory, the running back who played well in the season opener, he's banged up coming into this game. You know, but that defensive front, though, that's going to be a challenge for this offense. So, again, it's not getting any easier for the Eagles' offense. Uh, fellas, I think that's going to do it for us. Another we'll week. Some... Here's to a happier podcast next week. Oh, oh we, we are going to go nuts on the podcast next week. When they win. Not if they win. When they win. When, I, won't, when I, they I promise win. I won't make fun of Chris Stevens next week if we win. They, that's, good. that's a good start. Chris I'll Stevens is great. Better. If his family listens, I really don't <laughs> not like Chris Stevens. I don't know if they're going to get to this part of the podcast. That's but. true. But I put it in there. His mom listens. There Mrs. Go. Stevens, I'm sorry. Brian Thomas and Chris Stevens behind the scenes for Fran Duffy and Alex Smith. I'm Chris McPherson. You've been listening to the Eagles Insider Podcast. Again, make sure to subscribe, whether it's on iTunes, Podbase, Stitcher, wherever you consume your podcasts. Make sure to rate and comment. But thanks again, once again, and uh, we will talk to you all next week.